Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. I'm so grateful you've joined us for our study through the doctrine of repentance. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon on the doctrine of repentance. Now, as we've been moving through this study, we've looked at specifically a few ingredients of true repentance. A few ingredients of true repentance. True repentance is, first of all, sight of sin. It's seeing sin as God sees sin. Repentance is sorrow for sin. It's not just seeing sin as God sees it, but it's actually experiencing grief over sin as God experiences grief over sin. Sorrow. To be actually heartfelt sorry for sin. And tonight, we're looking at how sight of sin, true sight of sin, true sorrow for sin begets confession of sin. True repentance confesses sin. I'm going to read two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New, on confession of sin. Psalm 32, written by David. David promised in Psalm 51, after having committed adultery with Bathsheba, killing her husband Uriah, covering it up, staying unrepentant. He did not confess. He did not repent for what seems to be the vast majority, if not the entire, pregnancy of the child, which was the product of that sin. He did not repent, and, and he finally does. He records that in Psalm 51, and he promises that he's going to teach sinners God's ways. And so he writes Psalm 32. He says, how blessed, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh does not take into account, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. They don't deceive others. They don't deceive themselves. They don't try to deceive God about how sinful they are. They're totally honest about how sinful they are. How blessed is that person? When I kept silent about my sin, says David, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat of summer. It's like staying outside and exerting yourself in the Fresno heat without any water whatsoever, without any shade. You, you evaporate, your life dries up. And David commends us to, to reflect on this. He says, say law, bask on that, think on that. I acknowledged, that is, I was making you know my sin, O oh God. And my iniquity, I did not cover up. I said, 
I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh. He made a decision. He, he changed his mind. He said, I will make this known to God. He knows everything. God doesn't need us to make known anything to him. And yet there's this relational aspect of confession and true repentance to say, Oh God, I see my sin like you see it. I have sorrow over my sin like you have sorrow. And I confess my sin to you. I make you know it. And he says the result of this was, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the wickedness of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let every holy one pray to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You guard me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. You get that? As, as David confesses his sin to God, as he says, this is the fact, this is the reality, here is how ugly, here is how heinous, here is how guilty I am, God is quick to take the sin that we uncover, He covers. But the sins that we keep covered up, he exposes. And David says, the only response that I've ever found in my grievous, horrific sins, my worst sins, I uncovered them to God and God covers them up. And not only does he cover them up, but he doesn't do so reluctantly. He shouts with deliverance. He sings. He celebrates. He leads heaven in a chorus over the fact that he loves Forgiving, confessed sin. I will give you insight. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through David. I will give you insight and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose harness are bit and bridle to control them. Otherwise, they will not come near you. You hear that? Don't be like a stupid donkey. And rely on God to force you by coercion to come and repent. Come freely. Come gladly. Come happily, knowing this God who sings over forgiving, confessed sin will do so for you with your deepest, darkest, most shameful, most horrifying, most embarrassing moral failures. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Have you found this to be true? I know I had found it to be true over and over and over again and my sorrows compiled and they compiled and they compiled, and I pretended that I was not a wicked man, when indeed I was. And my sorrows were manifold. They were dogpiled upon me. But he who trusts in Yahweh, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in Yahweh, and rejoice, you righteous ones. Did you hear that? 
This whole psalm is about repenting. This whole psalm is about confessing how unrighteous we are. And God says, because of Christ, those are the righteous ones. The repentant ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 to chapter 2, verse 2. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive only ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we see sin as God sees it, feel about sin as God feels about it, and speak the same things about sin that God speaks about our sin, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us because God says that we are sinners. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin habitually as a way of life. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the only righteous one. He's the only one by whom we can be made righteous. And he is the advocate for those who come confessing. And he himself, he himself, his person, is the propitiation. That is the pacification, the satisfaction, the appeasement of the wrath of God for our sins. An amazing truth. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. My friend, brother, sister, come confessing again tonight. Come repenting again tonight. Come enjoying again the grace of God, the free grace of God that restores and refreshes the soul. It gives life to your inner being, to your innermost heart, who knows the deepest, darkest things and, and rids you of them, who's the Savior, not just the forgiver, but the Savior, the one that saves from the grip of sin. And my dear friend, if you've yet to come in Christ, if you've yet to trust in Him, if you've yet to repent of your life of sin and to trust in Him as your only righteousness before God, listen to that last verse. He's propitiation enough for the sins of the whole world. Why would you not come? You would only not come if you were unwilling to be saved because He is willing to save. He will save all those who come confessing. Repentance is confession of sin. You can't repent until you see sin. You don't really see sin if you don't have sorrow for sin. And there's no sorrow for sin unless you confess that sin. You see, sorrow runs out the eye by crying and out the tongue by confessing. Confession is self-accusation. This is not something you're going to hear out in the world. 
You flip open TikTok, you flip open Instagram, you flip open whatever it is that you guys look at on your phones, and you're going to be hearing a message of self-esteem, not a message of self-accusation. But the gospel first comes to us and says, self-accuse. Be one who is constantly self-accusing. Think of scriptures like 2 Samuel 24, 17, where David says to God, look, behold, he grabs God's attention, if you were, if, if it, as it were, that's the phrase I'm looking for. He says, look, I have sinned. Look, God, I have sinned. That's what the repentant one does. That's what the forgiven one does. That's what those who are righteous in God's sight do. They recognize they're unrighteous. Look, God, I have sinned. You see, self-accusation disarms Satan. We've heard in that song, we sing the truth. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I see him there who put an end to all my sin. But self-accusation, it, it disarms Satan. It gives him nothing to do. It, it robs him of a job. God says, they've already accused themselves, Satan. You've come too late. Your lawsuit is dismissed. Your accusations have come too late. They've accused themselves. There's nothing left for you to do. Be on your way. We, on the other hand, we damn ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We say before God, this lust, this, this discontent, this, this attitude, this action, this word spoken, this deserves hell because this is sin against an infinitely holy God. It deserves an infinitely holy punishment. I condemn myself. I damn myself to hell. That's what I deserve. That sounds harsh. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, if we judged ourselves rightly, like I've just said, we would not be judged. Do you hear that? If you and I judge ourselves rightly, I am hellbound apart from the grace of God. This sin deserves hell forever. Torment day and night without rest. If I said that, if I judged myself rightly, God would not judge at all. He would not condemn at all. So here are eight characteristics of true confession, true repentance. Eight characteristics. Number one, real confession must be voluntary. Must be voluntary. You know, even evil men, evil women, will confess their sins if they're coerced, if they're forced. But let me ask you a question. How believable are the tears of the arrested criminal? How believable are the tears of the arrested criminal? Is the arrested criminal regretting the committing of their crime or the getting of their caught? <laughs> Which one is it that they're sad over? Which one is it that they grieve? That they've sinned? That they've committed a crime? Or that they've gotten caught for it? What's making them cry? You remember Balaam from the Old Testament. Many of you may not. He, he, was, he was rushing to sin. And an angel of the Lord stood between him with a sword in hand. And he goes, I've sinned! Well, it's easy to do that when the sword flashes in front of you. But real repentance is the prodigal who in the mire with the swine 
eating the foul mess of the consequences of his sin in private with no one around, no one watching, no one listening. In Luke 15, he says, I will rise up and go to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's real repentance. That's real repentance. It must be voluntary. It must be volitional. It must be a compulsion of our own heart and not the external coercion of of forces outside of us. Number two, confession must be with conviction. The heart must resent sin. Does your sin affect you? Does your sin affect you? Does it affect your heart? Does it afflict your heart? You see, evil men... They'll, they'll confess sins like water running through a pipe. You get them in the right spot, you get them against the ropes, and they'll go, yep, you got me, oh well, on with our lives. Yeah, I did that, yeah, shoot, I'll try not to. It doesn't affect them, it doesn't stick, it doesn't, it's not like barbs in their heart. David, listen, he confesses his sin is a heavy burden, too heavy for me, he says. Too heavy for me. Psalm 38. Oh, Yahweh, reprove me not in your wrath and discipline me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have pressed deep into me and your hand has pressed down upon me. Arrows in the heart, hand on the shoulders. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities, my wickedness, go over my head. They're, they're mounted up on me as a heavy burden. They weigh down too much on me. My wounds stink and rot because of my folly. Infected wounds. Oh, the foulness of it. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am faint and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. Everything that I desire is before you. And my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength forsakes me. And even the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. You can see it. You can see it on his face. There's no joy of life before his eyes any longer. There's no glisten. There's no life. It's just gone. He's bland. His eyes are like a, a, a muted doll's eyes. There's, there's no joy in life. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my kinsmen stand far off. Because seeing sin and sorrowing for sin and confessing sin all affects us. It affects us mentally, psychologically, emotionally, physically, even relationally. Thirdly, confession must be sincere. Before his conversion, Augustine famously confessed, air quotes, confessed sin and begged for God's power against sin But his heart was constantly whispering, Not yet, Lord. He would say it with his mouth. He would beg for it with his mouth. 
Give me strength against this sin. But secretly, before his real conversion, his heart was saying, yeah, but not yet. I want to entertain this sin longer. There was no sincerity in his confession. Now, several of you are married in this room. Many of you, others wish to be, no doubt. Now, how would you feel if a year into marriage, your spouse was caught in an adulterous relationship that had been going on for your entire marriage? How'd you feel about that? How would you feel if, when confronted, your new spouse said, Yep, I see it. I'm sorry. I I confess that was sin. How'd you feel? How many of us pray like that? How many of us have shockingly, boldly, foolishly considered, Yeah, I see it. Yeah, I know, Lord, that's sin. As some sort of a confession. That is not confession of sin. It's insincere. The heart isn't in it. Fourthly, in true confession, a man or woman particularizes sin. They get specific. They get down to the nitty-gritty. Now, cultural Christians, those who have maybe grown up in the church, who have found themselves around Christians for a while, have bought into the language, cultural Christians confess rather easily that they are, in fact, sinners. We know that's what the Bible says. Jesus told me so. I'm a sinner, I know. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. That's not true confession, and it's not real repentance. True repentance is eager to identify specific sin. Specific sins. You see, new creatures, the born-again children of God, are like wounded soldiers on the operating table in the battlefield, and they're pointing out every wound they know of to the surgeon. Say, look, I was cut right here in the head. Right there, I was shot in the arm. They're they're frantic to show the surgeon all the wounds they've suffered. Come, heal me, purge me of the disease, sew me up, make me new. Would Would you want some general antibiotic? Would you like if the surgeon came in, he sees you absolutely ravaged with war wounds, and he goes, hey, listen, here's a general antibiotic, take two a day, and we'll see how you're doing next week. Yeah, this should work on the disease. Why then would you offer up general confessions? Why then, if you're absolutely tattered with holes from from war, would you be lying there on the table going, hey, Doc, I'm not feeling that great today? That's how we confess sin sometimes. And it's 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 abominable. Hey, I'm not feeling great, Lord. He knows. And sometimes we just kind of groan that out. Sometimes you're on the operating table. I've been there before. I'm not invalidating this. There are some times that I very authentically lay there on the the operating table before God and I just groan. And he knows. My point is the sincerity of heart in there. You get it? I'm groaning because there are so many specific sins that I see in my life that all I can mutter out is, and the surgeon goes to work. Thank God that he sees Point out your sins. Single them out. Every wound. Grab the operating lamp. Shine it on the gashes in the heart. Look! That's what we do. 
Fifthly, a truly repentant person confesses sin in the fountain. Not just the little sprays that that hit the, the window. The fountain. I've been watering the plants in my backyard lately. Um, I, I try to water the whole back, the whole flower bed, for about an hour every day. And 20 minutes in different sections every day. But th- there's this spray that's there, and there's little little droplets that hit the window or hit the barbecue or hit me and my glasses. That's the one that really irritates me when I go out to move the sprinkler and my glasses uh, when I'm studying, get the droplets on it. That really irritates me. Uh, but, but if I'm just irritated by the sprinkler, I, I, I've got to look, that's the source there. That's the problem. I didn't put far away, so I got it on my glasses. And in the same way, we have to, we have to confess sin in the trunk. We have to confess sin in, 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 in the trunk of the tree, in the root of the tree. Stop wasting your time pointing out the sins on the branch, in the fruit. Stop with the, the, the stick and twig confession. Stick and twig sins are going to preoccupy your time, waste your time. Trace them down to the trunk, to the root. The tree's diseased. Hey, I broke that. I broke that traffic law. Sorry, Lord. No, you broke that traffic law because you care way more about yourself and your convenience than you do the safety of other people. Get to the root of it. You see, I'm speaking for myself here. Sorry for that gossip, Lord. I shouldn't have talked about that person. No, 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 Samuel. You talked about that person because you have a high estimation of yourself and it makes you feel better about yourself to talk down about other people. You're wickedly proud. Confess it in the root. Confess it in the fountain. Go down deep in there. Don't, don't treat hair like, I'm sorry, don't treat sin like hair, a hair that you found in your food. Today I was at lunch with some friends and, and someone found a, a hair in their otherwise good little seaweed salad. And we treat confession like that sometimes. Pull out the hair from the seaweed salad and the seaweed salad is now good. No. The, the seaweed salad of my heart is corrupt. It's polluted. It, it, it's mixed in with fecal matter. The whole thing is, is just disgusting. And so David says in Psalm 51, I was shaped in iniquity. My mother conceived me in sin. I was sinful from conception. Sperm, egg, come together. Sinful soul was created. That was me, born in Adam. The wellspring of life is my heart. The source, the wellspring, is rotten. It's polluted. The only explanation for my sin should be my heart is evil. My heart is, I don't just do bad things. My heart is evil. That's the problem. It's never, I sinned against you because I was tired. You know how often we try to pull this off? I'm sorry, I was just really tired. No, that's not the problem. It's, I sinned against you because I was really irritated by you, and love is never never irritable, so I failed to love God, and I failed to love you. You see, that's the problem. You didn't deserve my irritation, and I gave it anyway, because I'm wicked. Would you forgive me? Lord, forgive me. It's never, I sinned against you because you sinned against me. No, that doesn't work. Explanations don't work. It's, I sinned against you because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner in need of God's grace and your forgiveness. Would you please give it? You see? 
Sixthly, sin is to be confessed with all its circumstances and its aggravations. I'll explain that very briefly. Psalm 78 says that the wrath of God came upon them, speaking of Israel, and it slew the fattest of them. For all this, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Now I want you to hear this loud and clear. Sins committed in Christ are against knowledge, they're against grace, they're against experience, they're against our own resolve and decisions, and these offenses enhance sin. Sin in Christ is worse. It's not less than the sins I committed before Christ. Our fight should be all the more now in Christ. I was talking with a pastor. I immediately understood what he was saying. He said, it's not my sins that I committed before Christ, which were awful, wretched, that keep me up at night. It's the sins I've committed since being in Christ, which are far less severe in the world's eyes. And yet so much more foul. I've committed them against love, against light. Seventh, in confession, we must charge ourselves. We must accuse ourselves and clear God, acquit God. Even if the Lord was super severe with us, we should always acquit him. He's just, he's righteous, he's holy. He only speaks the truth, the whole truth, and nothing about the, nothing but the truth. I almost said, so help him God, but he is God, so he needs no help. He does no wrong. He is exactly precise. He is exactly appropriate. God doesn't throw a hissy fit. He is absolutely meticulous in his judgment. And so we say with Nehemiah, even so, you are just in all that is brought upon us. We say with David, which is quoted again by Paul, that you, O oh God, may be justified in your words when you speak. I'm the liar. You're justified in every word you speak. If you think ever that you hear under the preaching of the word this very evening, oh, Sam's really beating this drum. My goodness, uh, I'm not as bad of a sinner as the word of God says that I am. You're lying to yourself. God's telling you the truth. And you should repent even of that. Our apathy, our insensitivity, our desensitivity. Eighthly and finally, we must confess our sins with a resolve to not repeat them. This one I find often tricking in my heart. I'll confess something, I'll try to drum up some sorrow over it, but secretly I'm thinking, yeah, probably tomorrow this will happen again. I want to make an honest resolve. This shall never happen again. I want to crucify myself in Christ. I want to stick myself on that cross. And every attempt he makes to rip himself off, the old man Sam, I want to stick him on there again. I want to keep stabbing him on there. I want him to stay up on that cross and never get down. Some confess and then they rush to commit the same sin. It's futile to confess sin and then just continue in it. That's false repentance. That's no repentance. Pharaoh, if you might remember, famously confessed his sin and then, I quote Exodus 9, sinned still more and hardened his heart 
further. Confession is vomit of the soul. I know, it's poetry, isn't it? It relieves the conscience. Have you ever puked after having something soil your stomach? That's probably not the best verb. Um, Sour your stomach. And you puked, and there was such relief. Do you go back and eat up your vomit with a teaspoon? I know the faces are, are the proper response to such an image. And yet we do that with our sin. Confess your sins as you want God to forgive your sins. It's that wonderful, what, 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 uh, um, it is well with my soul. That's the word. I think that's the song that I'm thinking of. The, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. See, that's confession. The sin in the whole, not in halves. Remember, just one sin, one unforgiven sin, one unatoned sin, one unrepentant sin is sufficient to damn us to hell. You see, saints will always make the worst of their sins. They always see the worst of their sins. Hypocrites will make the best of them. They'll put them in the best light. They'll have others see it in the the most favorable shade. You remember King Saul, the unrepentant King Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. That's a good start. I have indeed trespassed against the command of Yahweh and your words. Even better. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Boom. That's an excuse. That's not repentance. You failed, Saul. You failed. If there's any because... That's circumstantial. That's anything outside you. I sinned. I did this really bad thing because you've just whipped yourself right out of grace. That is an excuse. That's not confession. Apologies are not self-accusations. The thief began the day on the cross cursing Christ, but then he soon came to his senses by God's miraculous grace, and he said, we indeed are suffering justly, period, end of paragraph, end of story, done. We're suffering justly. We're getting what we deserve. To which Jesus replied what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, confession vents a guilty heart. Confession is the steam of a boiling conscience. Confession lances to release the spiritual pus from the boil. How was Paul's confession in Romans 7 concluded? He says, man, why do I do the things I don't want to do and, and, and I don't do the things I want to do? And he's battling between the spirit and the flesh that's trapped in him, spirit and body, and he's saying, oh, who will rescue me from the body of this death? He confesses entirely, and he concludes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is therefore no separation from God's love for those who are in Christ. When we confess, 
endless eternities in hell could not pay the debt. God says His Son paid it all for us. Then comes prodigal sight of a father racing out to kiss us and only to give us royal treatment. As Nathan told David, Yahweh put away your sin. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not cover up. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess, if we agree with God and say the same things about our sin, He is faithful. He is just, righteous to forgive us our sins. I want to conclude with a couple questions to you as you go off and discuss and pray for a brief moment. Why didn't John say if we confess our sins, God is merciful to forgive us our sins? That would make more sense, wouldn't it? How is it that He is just to forgive us our sins. That it's right for him to forgive us our sins if we come confessing. You understand what God has done in Christ. He has obligated himself by his own promises to which he's faithful. I, even I, blot out your sins and I remember them no more. He brags about it. He's faithful to his promises to forgive those who come confessing. And he's righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. Justice has been executed in my stead so that God would be unfaithful to His own promises to withhold forgiveness from me. God would be unjust if I come confessing I am a sinner, I'm a worm, I'm not a man. This is sin. He would be unjust to withhold cleansing from all my unrighteousness. This is the only God there is. This is the God that made the world in which you and I live. This is the God that you are either fondly inside of by the blood of Christ or you have stood outside in the delusion of your self-righteousness or of your religious devotion thinking that somehow you could contribute and add to the perfect, infinite righteousness of God in Christ. I want to conclude with an illustration. I just thought about it this past week, and so spare with me or bear with me for a moment here. Thinking that by being nice to other people or being a religious person or whatever, we can somehow make ourselves more um, pleasing to God is like being in deep debt of trillions of dollars to someone who loves us very much and thinking that we are somehow getting out of debt by going and giving other people a dollar each. Have you erased your debt? Have you begun to reverse your debt? Or have you actually increased your debt? You're putting yourself in a worse position 
by thinking that by being nice to other people, you somehow remedy your infinite debt against God. My friends, stop. You must feel extraordinary weight. You must be heavy. You must be heavy laden and weary in that lifestyle and that thinking. Come to Christ who pardons all. Come unto me, he says, and I will in no wise cast you out. Come confessing. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we sing, that maybe for many in this room it might be the first time they've sung by faith and true repentance, but we sing confessing that we are tremendous sinners and you are an even greater Savior. Our sins are countless. We cannot count them all, but they're finite. And your righteousness, your mercy, your grace is infinite. And so we come confessing both that we are wretched and you are wonderful in the same tongue. And we pray these things in Christ. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Tune in next Tuesday for the next episode in our series. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.